Welcome to our new podcast series, Round Rock Sunday Sermons. My name is Brad Britton, Senior Pastor at First United Methodist Church of Round Rock. Uh, we are so glad you've connected with us. You can connect in different ways through social media, through our live streams on Facebook or YouTube, our website, fumc-rr.org, use hashtag fumcrr. Also, please leave a five-star review. We are here to walk with you and look forward to seeing you soon, however you join in. In the very near future, we'll be adding community missions to these podcasts, so stay plugged in to find out how you can help. We want you to know that we want to get to know you, to connect with you, and be the church where you can plug in and grow in your faith in Christ. And so thank you. We welcome you, and let's take this journey together. So we just heard one of Jesus's last teachings before he went to the cross. It's one of his last I am statements in John. I also believe it's one of the most powerful parts of scripture he teaches us. It's an invitation to a transformed life. We heard this word abide over and over again, to abide with him using the imagery of vines and branches. Abide is used over 10 times in that chapter 15 and over 118 times throughout his writings, more than any other New Testament writer. Maybe it's a word we need to pay attention to. Abiding means rooting ourselves in God, a 24-7 communion with God. But it's not a call for us to live like monks and hide away in some cave somewhere. It's more an invitation to live two places at once, to remember that we're in the presence of God, that we can abide with God at every moment of our lives. When you're in traffic, you can still be in the presence of God. When you're training your two-and-a-half-year-old to be potty trained, you can still be in the presence of God. When you're in the hospital room holding a loved one's hand, you can still be in the presence of God. Brother Lawrence called this the practice of the presence of God. Are you all familiar with Brother Lawrence? He was this 15th century monk. He lived in France, and he started his life off as a soldier. But he got injured and had to do something different. He had this encounter with God and became a vocational monk. He didn't have all the right training. But his job in the monastery was to wash dishes. And he realized that even in the mundane of life, he could still be in the presence of God. He didn't have to wait to holy communion, what was seen at a very high regard in the Catholic church, to be in the presence of God. They saw communion as actually the, the blood and flesh of Jesus, but he could be in the presence of God when he was washing dishes, cleaning up after the meal, in the regular process of life. There's something important to that because he called it these practices. Because we have a lot of distractions in our lives. That report that needs to be done at the end of the week, all the food and cleaning that has to be done before Thursday when all the family you love and the family you tolerate descends on your house. That comment that that coworker made that just sticks with you that you can't get over, that we have to bring our attention back to God. I mean, we live in a fast-paced, hurried world. There's so many things that distract us all the time. We need something that brings us back to attention of God, that God is the, that pole star of our lives. 
William Paulson explains it this way. It's unlikely that we'll deepen our relationship with God in a casual or haphazard manner. There will be need for some intentional commitment and some reorganization of our own lives. But there's nothing that will enrich our lives more than a deeper, clear perception of God's presence in the routine of our daily lives. We all hunger for this enriched life. So how do we do it as followers of Christ? Through spiritual disciplines. We hear this word, but sometimes it doesn't sit with us. We have a misunderstanding of it. Think of it like a pie graph that we have our job, our money, you have your kids, you have your extracurricular activities, and you have your little sliver for coming to church on Sunday, your, your spiritual lives. But this is an invitation to put our spiritual lives smack dab in the center of it all. So your spiritual lives affect how you spend your money, how you raise your kids, how you live out at work each and every day. Your spiritual lives should shape that. And these spiritual disciplines are not a check mark that we do every day, but they're a means to an end. For example, why do we pray? Sometimes we think prayers are like our jelly roll prayers. And I got this from Dave Corna, um, one of our uh, pastors, that are retired pastors in our church. Have you heard of jelly roll? He has a song on the radio. I only talk to God when I need a favor. Yeah. We sometimes think of our prayer life as this laundry list of asking God for all these things when we want in our life. But the purpose of prayer is for us to carve out time just to hang out with Jesus, to spend some time in the presence of God, to take us away from all the distractions of the world and remember that we are beloved by God and God wants a relationship with us. God wants to hang out with us. I mean, we, we read our Bibles and check. We did, went to church on Sunday, check, and we think we're going to get some wise man accomplishment badge because we did all these things. But the ultimate, of the ultimate end of these disciplines is for us to abide with Jesus, to, to spend time with him. Because when you hang out with somebody, you become more like them. Um, in our office, in our council preschool, we have the Julies, Julie Hainan and Julie Robeson. And almost at least once a week, sometimes more than once a week, I go in their office and they're dressed exactly the same. And I asked, did you call each other? It's like, no. Even on Monday, I say, hey, can I share this story with you? And, he, and Drew, one of the Julies pulls out a shirt from her bag and says, we would have been dressed today if I didn't spill coffee on my shirt. They hang out with each other. So they start even talking like each other. They have the same mannerism. Sometimes they finish each other's sentences. They, they dress like each other because they abide with each other. When you hang out with someone, you become more like them. I go to the, the, the gym in the morning. I know you can tell. Um, I lift weights. I do HIIT training. I, I try to eat healthy. But my friend Amy, she's a power lifter. She's a pastor in North Carolina. She lifts the word of God and she lifts heavy things. She trains really hard. She has a whole setup in her garage. On her vacation, she goes to powerlifting competitions. She's so good that she made it to the world powerlifting competition in Mongolia several weeks ago and placed third. She, her life is dedicated. She's made these choices that have turned into habits, that have turned into who she is as a power lifter. I mean, think about our awesome musicians. I mean, we have the best band, I think, in America. They're just phenomenal. 
do you think they just play on Sunday mornings? And that's how good that they've gotten? No, they, a lot of our band has been together for over a decade. They kind of read each other. They, they know what's going on. They can make adjustments. The last song we're going to hear today is I'm So Blessed. We were planning to do it several weeks ago when Brad was preaching, but he ended his sermon with talking about the Holocaust. And Brian made the call, that may not be the best song to end the service with. We have just such, because they practice it, they've abided with us. They've abided with music. They've become these phenomenal musicians. It's just who they are. And we see this in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. But those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. These fruits of the Spirit are sometimes misunderstood, that we can get them out of sure will. I mean, you're going to wake up one day and say, I am going to be more patient. And your morning's going well. You have your first cup of coffee. It's going all great. And then you step into the world of traffic and someone cuts you off. You get to work and you get that email from that boss who's mad at you for someone. That coworker that you try to avoid all week sits down and wants to have a conversation. And that patience is gone so quickly. Because we can fake it for a while, but to be the core of who we are, it takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes habits to develop patience. I mean, if you have kids, when they're really young and they're fighting with each other and you tell them, you need to be more loving with each other, they automatically are more loving with each other, right? No, no, it takes time. It takes habits. It takes training. It takes intentionality in how you raise them so they want to hang out with each other, so that they love each other. They enjoy coming back on the holidays and spending time with each other. Paul uses this imagery of a fruit tree. And so I'll give the example of a, a tomato. I really like tomatoes. But have you ever seen a stressed out tomato plant? No, I mean, if the branch is abiding in the vine, it's going to produce that tomato. But it's only can produce whatever it is abiding in. You're not going to get a cherry tomato plant, and you're gonna, not going to see beefsteak tomatoes. You're going to see cherry tomatoes. So who are we abiding with? How does a follower of Jesus Christ become more like Jesus? Well, it's abiding with Jesus, being intentional to set out that time. John Mark Comer says, if we want the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And this is done through those spiritual disciplines and habits. So before I go on, I have some questions for you. Does your schedule match your values, or say it another way, is your life producing the fruit that you want? These habits together make a rule of life. And when I say the rule, some of us may grimace a little. I mean, how many of us here are rule followers? Just a few. So are the rest of you rule breakers? You just hate rules and you're going to try to break them all the time? But we need rules. Like if you have a new driver in your house, you hope that they follow the rules of the road. They hope that maybe as a teacher, they follow the rules at school. There's some intentionality at that. There's some importance to rules. I mean, unless you're, maybe you're playing some board games, how many of you can play board games this holiday season and not get into a big fight? 
maybe just a few. When I'm playing board games with my nephews, if I'm winning, it's amazing that the rules change really quickly so they can win the game. But rules are actually a really good thing. C.K. Chesterton says, and the more I consider Christianity, the more I found that while it had established a rule and order, the chief aim of that order was to give room for good things to run wild. Who doesn't want good things to run wild in their life? A couple of weeks ago, I took some time off. I was in Arizona. I had these plans to go to the Grand Canyon, but I got sick. I got just, I felt horrible. So I went to the doctor and this nurse walks in and this guy was jacked. He was so swole. I was like really impressed and a little afraid because he was taking my blood pressure. He might break my arm. And I asked him like, hey, do you compete? I mean, you're, you're, you're just huge. He says, no, it's just my lifestyle. And we began to talk a little more. And he says, you know what? My friends though think I'm just ridiculous for living like this. He's so dedicated to going to the gym. He watches his macros, which I thought was something like a Big Mac, but it has to do with calories. I don't know. And without prompting, he said, even though everyone thinks it's really oppressive and ridiculous that I live like this, it's actually really life-giving because I feel good. I look good. I'm living the life I really want. He has this rule of life to get this healthy lifestyle that he lives. And we get this idea of a rule of life from St. Benedict. He was from the fifth century. He lived at the end of the Roman Empire. So he thought a lot about the Roman Empire. He lived in a cave. He started um, seven monasteries, up to 12 of them, based on this rule of life. And these were these guidelines for the monks to live together and to live in relationship with God. And my favorite was rule 53, that if you are fasting, but someone knocks on your door and says, hey, let's go to dinner, you can break your fast. Because I noticed that food is really important for people. Several years ago, I did this book study on this book called Seven, and it was to realize that we live in a world of excess. And the very first task was to live with only seven items of food for like two to three weeks. And you cycle those seven items of food. I'd always lose half of the class because we love food so much in our world. But this word rule is actually seen in Latin as regula, where we get the word trellis. You've seen a trellis before, right? It helps vines grow up. It keeps it away from predators. It makes it easier to prune. And when vines are grown on trellises, it produces more fruit. If you've ever been to uh, Fredericksburg to, to see wine country, you've seen how beautiful these trellises work. But sometimes when we think of a rule, we think of it as something really oppressive and it can hold us down, when in all actuality, it's something to lift us up and support us in our walk with Christ. Andy Crouch says, it is a set of practices designed to safeguard our habits and steer our lives. I mean, we all have a rule of life in some shape or form, whether we like it or not. And this rule of life for you is working. It's producing the fruit that you've set these habits for. But we all need a good rule of life. Be really intentional on how we live our life. I mean, if you want to set up a retirement plan, you can't spend any way you want to. You have to be intentional how you spend your money. It's the same for our walk with Christ. As we're thinking about a rule of life, though, we need to think about the stage of life we're in. Um, one of my friends from seminary is Kim. She's a pastor in the Dallas area. 
When she was in seminary, she had two young kids. She was working full-time at a church and going to school full-time. And one of the classes we have to take first semester is a spiritual formation class. And she was in class with this person who's about 10 years younger than her, single, and people went around the room sharing kind of their spiritual disciplines. And this person says, well, I have a prayer closet. I set up these candles, I have incense, I set up the perfect music, and I go in his closet and pray for hours. Kim, in the meantime, was going through cold sweats. I'm a parent. I have young kids. There is no way that I can live a life like this. She said, I was lucky to get a few moments alone when the kids went down for a nap, for her to take a shower, put on fresh clothes, and just say a quick prayer. But now her kids are older. She has a freshman in college and a senior in high school. She said, if my spiritual practices were just like they were before, I'm not growing. I'm not getting that fruit that I need in her life. So some of her spiritual practices are taking a walk, spending time in prayer with God, extending prayers of silence and solitude and times in prayer. And she's actually trying to learn Hebrew now to have a more fruitful life because she's in that different stage of life. And you also think about like who we are as people because some of these spiritual practices, you're going to bulk again because maybe that's not who you are, but maybe you want to dip your toes in it. One of my spiritual practices when I was in seminary, a professor asked us to sit in quiet for an hour. I would rather get a root canal than sit in quiet than be a quiet. So I'm trying to work toward that in my life as I grow and try to mature my faith, just to sit there and be quiet before God. I'm not in an hour yet, but maybe someday I'll get to do that. So I want to invite you to think about developing a, a rule of life for yourselves. We're in a season of thankfulness. So instead of just leaving it to Thanksgiving to list about what you're thankful for, maybe three times a week when you're gathered as a family, when you're gathered with your friends, with, a, with another person, list what you're thankful for, how God has moved in your life, how he has seen his blessings, what it means to be abiding in Christ and how you've seen it transform your life. And especially with your kids, I think you're going to be really surprised at the things they say. And even though I bulk against times of silence and solitude, I invite you to think about for five minutes of silence. This is not times that we pray or, or list our things that we need from God, but just sit in the presence of God. Maybe five minutes, set your alarm to wake up five minutes early or just before you go to bed, sit in silence for five minutes. And it doesn't seem that long, but when you sit in silence for five minutes, your mind may drift one direction or another, and you have to practice bringing it back to having God be that pole star in your life, that, that center of your life. These are small, little, easy practices to wade you in because spiritual practices are like anything else. It's like training for a marathon. You're not going to say, tomorrow I'm going to run a 26.2 miles if I've been sitting on my couch for most of my life. You're going to have to train toward that. You're going to have to walk a little, run a little, walk a little, run a little before you can run a marathon and be like Pat and do ultra marathon someplace. It's going to take these practices to get us back to being the presence of God. But maybe if we start somewhere with just saying what we're thankful for and five minutes of silence, you can start building upon these practices in our life. And you can see how God is shaping and forming you as we abide with Jesus. I'm going to leave you with this story from my friend, A.J. Soboda. 
AJ is a pastor and a professor in Eugene, Oregon. If you've ever been to, to that area, it's beautiful. It's green, it's luscious, but it's overcast, it's cloudy, it's rainy all the time. But the summers are amazing because they can produce awesome produce. And him and his family love growing tomatoes. They get the soil prepared. They make sure the right vitamins are set up. They go and make sure that it gets the enough water. And they get it on its little trellis. And it makes sure it has the right pest control on it. And it prunes them. And they produce these amazing tomatoes. And he'll invite friends over. And he'll say, hey, would you like some of these fresh tomatoes? And sometimes friends will go like, I don't like tomatoes. And AJ will go, but you haven't tasted these tomatoes. These tomatoes have taken time, taken effort. There's been some intentionality to carve out time for my busy life as a professor and a father to grow these tomatoes. And then they taste these tomatoes and they think they're the best things ever. They've tasted these other forms of tomatoes that are fast produced, picked from the vine way too early, not had the care and intentionality as these tomatoes. It's much like our spiritual life. We live busy and hurried lives. We don't take that time to carve out space and intentionally to abide with God. But when we do, the fruit we can produce is amazing. Let us pray. God, what a joy it is to abide with you. You're the God of the heavens and the earth, the creator of all things. You know the number of hairs on our head. And you invite us to abide with you, to set time away from the busyness of the world, to draw our attention back to you so we can be people of joy and hope and love, people who can change the world, people who want to say, I want to taste what you are tasting. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon series podcast from First United Methodist Church of Round Rock, Texas. For more information, you can find us online at fumc-rr.org or find us on social media at fumcrr.org.